Presbyterian Church Online. Today in worship, Pastor David continues our series on the big three, faith, hope, and love, with a look at belief and, more specifically, unbelief. Let's listen. We are in the middle of a preaching series right now titled The Big Three, and you can see what those three are behind me. We've got faith, hope, and love. We're spending two weeks studying each of these words. We've already done hope. Uh, Pastor Dana started us on faith last week, so we'll continue with faith today and then spend the next two weeks studying love. But before we study faith, I want to share with you what I did this past weekend. I officiated a wedding in Asheville, North Carolina. And I must tell you, it was one of the prettiest locations for a wedding that I've really been to. It was in the country club of Asheville. I took a picture to show you. Here's, here's the picture of how it looked. Um, you can see the beautiful fall colors in the trees out looking on the golf course. It was stunning. But something happened during the wedding rehearsal that I never had happened before in any of my wedding rehearsals. Uh, I was in the middle of telling people where to stand and, and what to do when one of the bridesmaids said three words that changed the entire trajectory of the wedding rehearsal. She said, look, a bear. <laughs> and it was true. I was like, oh, look, sure enough, there's a bear. And immediately, this wedding rehearsal turned into a little bit of a scene of chaos. <laughs> when everyone's looking, going, oh, where is it? Did you see it? Thankfully, it wasn't that close, but it was close enough for us to pay attention to. I jokingly told the bridesmaid, okay, if that happens during the wedding, ignore it. We can't have this scene replay itself again during the actual wedding. But I share that with you because the story that we're going to study in the Bible today actually has some similarities to the story I just told. No, there's not a bear in the wedding or in the story in the Bible, but the story in the Bible does take place up near the mountains, and there is a chaotic scene that occurs in this story. So maybe that's enough to whet your appetite for where we now go and read the scriptures together. This is how this scene begins. It says, When they came to the other disciples, meaning Jesus and three disciples who'd gone up to the mountaintop. If you're familiar with the story of the transfiguration, they were transfigured and then came back down. And when they came back to the other disciples— they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Okay, so while Jesus was up on the mountaintop with three of his disciples, the rest of the nine disciples were approached by a man with his son. And the man tells the disciples that his son physically was dealing with 
seizures. That physically, the son could not speak. And spiritually, he had a spirit within him that was causing these physical ailments. And so he asked the disciples, will you please heal him? And get this, the disciples tried. They tried to heal the man's son, but they couldn't. They couldn't do it. Within the crowd at this moment were the teachers of the law. Now you might remember the teachers of the law did not believe in Jesus. They believed that Jesus was leading everyone astray. And so they thought this is our opportunity to expose Jesus as a fraud. So they begin arguing with the disciples. I imagine the argument went something like this, where they're saying, see, see crowd, I told you. The disciples and, and the man they follow, Jesus, they can't really heal people. No, they're, they're all imposters. They're just selling you snake oil. Don't trust them. And I imagine the disciples responding, saying, no, no, we've seen Jesus heal people before. And maybe they even tried to say the same words that Jesus has said. And they're saying, well, for some reason, it's not working. But just wait, just wait. Jesus is up on this mountaintop and he'll be back soon. And it becomes this chaotic scene of argument that then Jesus walks down into. What do you think Jesus' response is going to be to this argument that he finds? Well, this is what he says. He says, You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Do you sense a little frustration in Jesus' voice? I, I surely do. And when I begin wondering why, why is Jesus frustrated, I think it's because he enters a scene where the disciples are arguing with the teachers of the law, and they're arguing about who can do a miracle and how they can do a miracle, but they've forgotten all about the boy, the one who actually needs the miracle. They've forgotten about the father, who brought his son to them saying, please, can you heal him? No, they're, they're more concerned in this moment with winning the argument, with being right, than with the boy's actual health. So what Jesus is doing here is he's repositioning the whole argument, and he's focusing back on the boy, saying, bring me the boy. So they brought him, we're told in the scripture. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I want you to imagine for a moment being in the shoes of this father. This father who notes that his son from childhood had been suffering these seizures. We're not told how old the son is now, but the implication is that it has been years of trauma that they have dealt with this. It's been years where the father has been probably scared every day, wondering, is my son going to have a seizure today? And if he does, is he going to be near fire or water, something that's going to hurt him. I sense desperation in the father's 
uh, mouth here as he says these words to Jesus, if you can help him. Surely he's thinking, well, I, I tried the disciples, and they, they couldn't help him, but Jesus, maybe, maybe you, if you could help him. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I surely have. I mean, I, there's times in your life where maybe you're seeking some sort of healing, or you're just going through something very challenging. And almost as a last resort, you, you pray to God and say, well, God, if you can help me, please help me. Yeah, I bet a lot of us can, can empathize with the Father's desperation here. But Jesus picks up on his hesitation. Jesus says, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Jesus is teaching us something incredible about faith. Remember, this sermon is about faith, and I, I want to highlight really two things that come out of this statement that Jesus just made. The first is that faith and belief work in partnership. Remember, Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes, believes. And so to have faith is to believe. If I put my faith in someone, I'm believing in them. I'm trusting them. So the question then becomes for us, what are we to believe in? I mean, what belief in what? In this story, on a practical level, the father just needs to believe that Jesus is powerful enough and is willing to heal his son. That's what he needs to believe. But what about the crowd watching? Where are they to believe? What about the unbelieving generation, as Jesus puts it? Or what about us? As we read this story 2,000 years later, what are we to believe? Well, I think, as I read this story, that we are to believe that God is active in this world. That's what we're to believe. We're to believe that God is active in your life and in my life, shaping hearts and, and shaping minds so that we become people in the image of God. And not only that, I believe that we are supposed to believe that God's active in the world too, that God is creating the kingdom of God right here, right now. God is making this world a more just and a more beautiful world. That is what I choose to believe. That is what I choose to put my faith into. But I recognize that's not the only possibility of what to believe. You could believe that there is no God. Many people believe that. You could believe that there's no divine presence that's working towards good in this world. That's an option. Or you could believe that there is a God, but that God's distant from us. That God doesn't really care about your personal needs. These are all possibilities of what to believe. Or you could believe that God is active in the world. That God does care about your needs and that God can make a difference in the world. That is what I choose to believe. That is what I put my faith into. So we see first in this story that faith and belief are tightly linked. The second thing that this story teaches us is that faith creates impossible possibilities. 
Now, what I mean by that is that the things that seem impossible in this world, through faith, there becomes at least a glimmer of possibility. But that's not to say that faith simply works like magic. I mean, think about this story. The, the, the father brings his son who has been sick his entire life, but through faith, he's hoping that Jesus can heal him. But it's not like a magical equation where if that man, the father, has enough faith, then Jesus is going to heal his son. We think like that sometimes, don't we? Like, okay, if I just have enough faith, then God's going to reward me. If I have enough faith, then God's going to heal me. But that idea of faith makes it all about us and the amount I have and what I'm doing with it. But faith is not about us. Faith is about connecting us with God. And it is through God that all things are possible. It is through God that we believe that healing will come into this world. It's through God that we believe that all will be well. And that's why we can say that everything is possible for one who believes, because we believe in God. Faith broadens our horizon of what is possible in this world. So, what do you think the Father's reaction to this statement is? Well, we're told that immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't this one of the most relatable verses in the entire Bible? You have faith and, and belief and unbelief intermingled within the human heart. I mean, in one moment of faith, the, the father says, I do believe, and I bet he does. And then I imagine in the next moment, just a little bit of self-reflection, and he finds doubt in his heart too. He says, God, help my unbelief. The father in this story represents all of us. We are all like this father. Because on this side of eternity, we live in a world where we cannot see God with our eyes. And instead, we are asked to walk by faith. And I know that you've had times in your life of deep trust in God of deep faith in God's plan for you. And I know that you've also had times of skepticism in your life, times where you wondered, can God really be a part of this? And it's okay to admit the presence of both things in your life. And just like the Father, there are days where we proclaim, I do believe, and other days where we go to God and say, help my unbelief. The beautiful part of the story is that the father recognizes the potential for growth in his faith. And that's why he asked for help. He says, help my unbelief. He would not ask for help if he didn't believe that his faith could actually increase. So what we're learning in this story is that the potential to grow in faith is possible for the father. And it's possible for us as well. Yeah, faith, I, I want to give you an image here of what faith is, but I'm going to start with an image of what faith isn't, okay? So faith is not like a light switch. We just turn it on or off. You have faith or you don't. You believe in God or you don't. You click the light switch on or, or off. That's not what faith is. 
But instead, I encourage you to view faith as a progression, that you can progress in faith, that you can grow in faith, that over the course of your life, you can learn how to walk more deeply in faith with God. That's what faith really is, where we can grow in our reliance on God and our trust in God. It's not something you just flip on or off. And so this man says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And in that moment, both of those things are true. And Jesus heals the son. Jesus responds to him by healing his son. What we get to uh, walk away from this story with is an understanding that we too can grow in faith. Meaning that wherever you are right now uh, doesn't necessarily mean that that's where you'll be tomorrow when it comes to faith. But instead, we can grow and develop each day of our lives in understanding of God. And so I want to end this sermon uh, with three practical ways that we can learn to grow in faith. Because the Bible says so much about living by faith. It's so much, and we can't cover even a sliver of it. But these three things, I chose them because they are practical. They are things that you can do this week to help you progress and grow in faith. Here's the first one from Paul in 2 Corinthians, when he says, for we live by faith, not by sight. You've probably heard this before, but what Paul is saying is that our physical senses, what we can see, what we can hear, what we can touch, what we can smell, our physical senses only get us so far in this life. I mean, what we can see is real, but there is more that is real than just what we can see. By walking by faith, Paul is encouraging us to not be limited by convincing yourself that all that there is in this world is what you can see. Because there's more to this world than that. God is at work in this world, even unseen, behind the scenes. God is at work in this world and in your life. But we must walk by faith to see it. And so this encouragement then to walk by faith I mean, it's kind of a countercultural way to live, isn't it? But it's an encouragement to learn how to hear from God, even when you can't see God. It's an encouragement to, to learn how to talk to God and, and to really grow in your connection with God, because then what you're doing is you're learning how to walk by faith and not by sight. The second way to grow in faith comes from the author of Hebrews. When the author says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I want to highlight the last part of that verse, that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. What does it mean to earnestly seek something? Well, it means to seek something sincerely, or with all of your heart. Is that the way that you pursue your faith? Do you do so earnestly? Is your whole heart invested? That's the encouragement for us, is that faith is not something that we try to develop just once a week, 
or even once every couple of weeks. It is an everyday uh, occurrence where we learn how to grow in our trust of God so that we may earnestly seek God. Yes, what, we, what I see in this scripture is that there should be no half measures when it comes to faith. But instead, we put all of ourselves into this exploration of walking with God. And the final encouragement for you to walk in faith is one of the last things that Paul ever says. It's towards the end of his life when he utters these words. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul is acknowledging that sometimes living this life of faith can feel like you're fighting a battle. It's like fighting a fight. It can be tiring. It can be exhausting to live this life of faith, but it's a good fight. Paul is saying that living this life of faith can feel like you're running a race, and you don't know where the finish line is, and you're tired, and you're recognizing that this is a a countercultural way to live, that not everyone else lives. And you think, do I really want to run this race? But Paul says it's a good race to run. It's a good fight to fight. Because at the end of the day, we'll be able to say that we have kept the faith. I believe that what Paul wants us to understand here is that when life feels like a battle, or when life feels like you're running a race, we are to keep the faith. And one of the the genuinely amazing things about gathering in a community like you are all today is that we can encourage one another to keep the faith. You may know uh, that someone's going through a hard time where life feels more like a, a fight right now, and you can encourage them, hey, keep the faith. Or you may know someone who's having a hard time feeling God in their life and is wondering, is God really journeying with me? And you can encourage that person, keep the faith. That is something that we can do for one another as a church community, as we encourage one another to keep the faith. And so I'll ask you, this next week, how will you seek to grow in your faith? If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.